Let's be turning our Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 10 this evening. Matthew 10. Isn't it a pleasant evening for our Lord's Day? I am by nature cold-natured, and I appreciate the warm weather, even though I know it's not, I know it's not seasonable. Matthew chapter 10 will begin our reading this evening in verse number 5. And then we'll get right to some lessons that, that we can enjoy together. Matthew chapter 10 beginning in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet Stays for the workman is worthy of his meat. Verse 11. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city. Shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This is sometimes known as Jesus' limited commission. It certainly is an early mission that he sends his apostles out. If you look earlier in the chapter, Matthew 10, first few verses, you see the list of the apostles. And so Jesus is sending them out on an early mission. Of course, later on he will send them and others and all of us out on the, on the great commission. But from this reading, we can some, learn some lessons about reaching out. And whenever we have our group meetings on a monthly basis, we like to remind ourselves of the importance of reaching out. Now, a few things to assume before we get to the actual uh, lessons. We must assume together that we are in the Word, that we are in the Word, that we are constantly learning from Jesus and um, from His Word. In Mark's account, Mark 3, in verse 14, as Jesus selected the apostles, it says his purpose was to bring them to him so they could spend time with him and then send them out to teach and preach. So the same pattern for us. We must first spend time with Jesus and his word and then be ready to go forth. You can't get water out of a dry well, and so therefore we must have the word living in us if we're going to share it. 
Another thing to assume is that we would be at least somewhat familiar with God's unfolding of his gospel plan. Notice here in the limited commission that Jesus is going to send the apostles uh, just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's in the plan of God. As Romans 1.16 says, the gospel uh, is the power of God unto, the sal- unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in God's wisdom, the gospel was to be impressed upon the Jewish communities first and then outward to the Samaritans and the Gentile world. And that's how it happened in the book of Acts. You remember Jesus speaking to his apostles before he left this earth, uh, after his resurrection, but before his ascension. Acts 1 verse 8, he says, You shall be my witnesses beginning here in Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus tells uh, Peter in Matthew 16, talking about the church, the kingdom. Uh, Jesus tells Peter, Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And Peter, through preaching the gospel, uses those keys on the day of Pentecost uh, to the Jewish people. Many responded. And later Peter is sent, Acts chapter 10, to the household of Cornelius. And so to the Jew first and then also uh, to the Gentile. And so we must have a a notion of that at least, an idea of that as we understand uh, these verses uh, together. Notice that part of what they would be uh, teaching and preaching, according to Matthew 10 here, is that they would be talking, verse 7, uh, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is at hand. Prophets had talked about the kingdom, Daniel 2, 44, Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, and the kingdom was going to be set up soon. The church kingdom would be set up soon. John came preaching about the kingdom of God, Matthew 3, verse 2. Jesus preached about it, Matthew 4, uh, verse 17. And he has his disciples, his apostles, talking about how the kingdom is soon to be. It's soon to be. And it will be formerly set up as people respond to the gospel there on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And so we need to know a little bit about the unfolding of God's plan and how it all came to be. And then another thing to assume before we get to our actual lessons is to remember that the word of God has already been confirmed. And he tells the apostles here, when you go forth, you're going to be able to raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, and and cast out uh, demons, but these were signs that they were able to do so that the Word of God can be confirmed um, from heaven before men. It's already been confirmed. And so there are no miracles today. There's no confirming that has to be done today. We have the Word of God in the, in the form that God wants us to have it uh, today. Okay. So... Now, let's think about five things we must believe if we're going to reach out with the gospel. Five things that we must believe if we're going to reach out um, with the gospel. First of all, we must believe in the mission itself. Notice that Jesus says here in Matthew 10, 5 and 6, he says, I'm sending you forth to his apostles and I want you to go. Don't go into the houses of the Gentiles quite yet, but rather go to the 
go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the main thing here is, he says to go, to go. And we must believe in Jesus' mission of sending his folks out uh, to share uh, the good news. Got a good buddy down uh, near Northport, uh, Kerry Richardson. He tells a story about uh, a keeper of a lighthouse uh, many years ago. And the keeper of the lighthouse was given um, oil to keep the uh, light burning, but on a monthly supply. And so after a, a month goes by, he'd be given more month. But uh, as a month uh, at a time, he'd be given oil. And all he had to do is just keep the, the oil supplied and the lamps uh, burning so the ships could have a, a beacon uh, in the night. Well, his first month, two or three days into the month, uh, a lady comes by. And she wants to borrow some oil because um, she needs to, the oil to provide heat uh, for her household. So he lets her borrow some of that oil. And then a few days later, uh, a farmer comes by, and he says, I need to borrow some oil uh, so that I can provide light. Uh, my little boy uh, needs to be able to do his schoolwork, and I'm, I'm out of oil. And then uh, a few days later, a, a farmer comes by and says, well, uh, all of my business depends on my sawmill and I need to borrow some oil to keep my sawmill going at least for a few, few more days, and I'll pay you back. And then uh, before the end of the month, that first month, the, um, the oil ran out, and the lighthouse went dark, and there were a couple of ships that crashed. And so the government <laughs> officials come to see the lighthouse keeper and said, um, what happened? And he explained everything that had happened. And, they looked to him and they said, we gave you one job to do. And all these other matters that came up, regardless of how good they might have been, all these other matters were secondary. And in a similar way, we have been given one major thrust uh, to carry out for God. And that is to carry the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we must not lose focus of that. There are many good things that compete uh, for our time and for our efforts and for our energy. And you would never dispute that there are good things. But as Paul teaches us to pray in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he teaches us to pray to abound more and more in love and all discernment. All discernment. And then he goes on to say, approving those things which are excellent. And that's Paul's words there in Philippians 1, 9, and 10. We need to ask God to help us as we discern between those things which are excellent and those things which are, which are good. And so we need to believe in the mission. If we believe in the mission, we believe in Jesus and vice versa. If we believe in Jesus, we believe in his mission, of course. And Jesus was all about this mission of, of helping people to come to know the Father. In Matthew chapter 1, 21, as Gabriel explained to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And Jesus lived up to his name. Luke 19, 1 through 10, you remember 
that uh, Jesus uh, invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. And, but the comment is made there in Luke 19.10, after all that occurred, uh, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 9, verse 56, Jesus explained to his disciples, uh, I didn't come to destroy men's lives, uh, but to save them. Now what had happened there, they were making their way to Jerusalem and they wanted to stop by and do some gospel work in a village of Samaritans and the Samaritans would not receive them there because they had their face set toward going to Jerusalem and Jesus' disciples looked to him and said, hey, uh, should we try to bring down fire upon these people like Elijah did? And then Jesus made a statement, look, you misunderstand the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So we must believe in the mission. A second thing we must believe in if we're going to uh, be effective in reaching out, we must believe that people can change. We must believe that people can change. Does God do anything without purpose? Does God give commands that, that are without meaning, without substance? He just doesn't do that. He just doesn't do that. Everything that God does, everything that God commands, carries a lot of weight with it. 1 John 5, 3 says, The commandments of God are not grievous. They're not burdensome. Okay. They have a lot of meaning and substance packed uh, into them. And so Jesus would not give this command to go into this lost world if people could not change, if it was just a fruitless effort. He would not give it. He would not, he would not instruct about it. He would not talk about it uh, the amount uh, that he did. And so we must, we must believe that people can change. Jesus said go. He would not have said go if people would not, some at least, would not receive it and change their lives with God. We must believe this. There's several examples in the Bible that helps us. One would be Paul's example, Galatians 1, uh, 23. It is just a beautiful statement. A, a very, um, it's one of those we just can't ever forget. But here's what Paul said, Galatians 1, 23. He says, the people are saying, the one who persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he tried to destroy of all things. And that word was going forth everywhere. And what an impression that made on that early world in those days. The one who had been persecuting us, the ringleader of the persecution, Saul of Tarsus, is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. It is very possible to change. I believe that's one of the reasons that that God brought uh, Saul on the scene was because we would learn that lesson and never, ever uh, forget it. Stories told years ago about uh, two brothers, and both of them were in the business of stealing sheep. Stealing sheep. And finally they were caught by the community officials, and in those days... Uh, they had their own ways of um, giving out punishment, so they branded on their foreheads, both the brothers branded on the foreheads, the letters ST, 
S-T. Sheep thief. Sheep thieves. S-T. One of the brothers, after that happened, um, moved far away and tried to run away from what he had done and really uh, was miserable for the rest of his life. But the other brother decided he would stay right there in the community and he said, I'm going to win back my respect. I'm going to turn my life over to the Lord. And that's exactly what he did. So years and years later, a stranger showed up in town and, and saw the man out doing uh, good works and saw the ST on his forehead and he asked someone, he said, what does that ST on that man's forehead, what does that stand for? And they said, well, we don't really remember now, but uh, all of us just assume it means saint. It means saint. But we need to believe that people can change because that's the truth of the matter. If you really think about it, Christianity is all about the idea of change. You can't become a Christian. You can't remain faithful as a Christian unless we are continually changing. Some of the words that go along with, with Christianity, like the word repent means to change. The word convert, conversion means to change. Certainly, as we grow, as we grow, that means change. Okay. These young men that are now young men make you feel so old because you remember that when they were just toddlers. But now look at them. Young men leading prayer, reading scripture, and their voices are all, all deep. And you know they're going to be great influences uh, for God. But notice the change. When we think about growing, we think about how things will change with a person. And that's exactly what God expects. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, uh, Peter says, We ought to be desiring the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. So God expects us to continue to change and to grow closer, draw nearer uh, to Him. As we reach out, we need to make it really clear, and the Bible will do this if we, if we teach properly. The Bible will do this. Okay? But it needs to be really clear that if someone comes to Christ, they are to understand, we are to understand, that this is a brand new life that they are taking on. Nobody is forcing them, but if you come to Christ, as Romans 6, 4 says, we, we come out of that baptism uh, grave. We come out of that watery grave. We are walking in a newness of life. God expects a new person. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. God expects a new person. There's somebody else now sitting on the throne of that heart. Christ is now sitting on the throne of your heart. Okay. He is now giving the directions. It ought to be obvious, just like it's obvious with the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. It was obvious to everybody that there has been a complete change. And that needs to be obvious to the world. When that occurs, when true conversion occurs, then that sets up a natural curiosity and an opportunity really to reach out. That's how God intends it, intended it uh, to be.
I was sitting around trying to help uh, Andrew pass some time the other day, and we began to talk about uh, parenting. And I, I know I had said this before, but that's okay. When that's one of the privileges of getting older. You get to repeat yourself. So, and so I told him, I said, you understand things are about to change in a very radical way. He says, well, I think I do. He said, well, how, how would you explain it? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so I said, it's all about intensity. Intensity. Uh, when you play uh, middle school ball, high school ball, college level ball, professional level, it, uh, at each level, the intensity increases. Okay. And so you're about to get into professional uh, parenting here. You're about to get into a professional. Everything will be intense. Okay. Your days of resting are over. Are over. But it, it did evolve into a good conversation that, that really and truly uh, some parents don't understand that. And I related to him experience I had uh, several years ago before we even had children. We ran into this family and they had, you know, they had kids at home, three or four. And um, we went out to eat with them a couple of times and talking to them. And they, they looked at us and said, you know, we decided a long time ago that when we had kids, we weren't going to stop any of our activities. Everything that we were doing as a young couple, then as we had kids, we were going to continue to do that. And that's what they were doing. Okay, they were out late at night. They were going to all these different functions. And I said to myself then, I said, there's some folks that don't need to be parents. You know? When you come into parenthood, things are about to change. And it's the same way when you walk into Christ, when you come into Christ, things should change in a radical way. And so we must believe that people can change. A third thing that we must believe in if we're going to reach out is we've got to believe that people are lost without Christ and the gospel, obviously. We've got to believe that people are lost Jesus sent them into the, into the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as we read here in Matthew chapter 10. You've got to believe that people are lost. There is a, a dominant thought out there that God is so loving and so kind that eventually, at the end of the day, He will just save everybody. That is very dominant in people's mind. Okay. And... It may be that it has creeped over into the church a little bit because that's where we need to get our, our motivating power. What motivates us, what ought to motivate us is to believe and, and understand and know for sure that those outside of Christ are lost. And if we really believe that, then that should make an impact on, that, on the decisions that, that we make. What our society wants they want, a, they want a God without wrath. They want man to be without sin. They want God to be without wrath. They want a kingdom without judgment. They want Christ without a cross. They want a ministry without any sacrifice. They, they want a theology that's convenient and easy, and that's not the theology from the Scriptures. And so we must believe People are lost. The three ideas that go with this lostness uh, thought. 
first ideal is to remember that it is true that Scripture says that those who do not obey the gospel are lost. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8 clearly states that. Paul says that, that on that fateful day, on that, on that judgment day, the Lord will come in flaming fire, uh, rendering vengeance upon those who know not God and who obey not the gospel uh, of our Lord. A, a second idea that goes along with that is that, that God uses human beings to take the gospel message to others. Okay. And one verse that says that is Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you to both do and to will and to do his pleasure, his good pleasure. The good pleasure of God is to help people through the gospel. God works through us as we carry the gospel. And a third idea that goes along with that is that God can use anyone in any circumstance to share his gospel. And that's when it gets really exciting to think about it. That's very exciting to think about. The Apostle Paul, of course, you know, there in 2 Corinthians 12, he had asked the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh. God comes back, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, and my strength, notice this, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God's saying to, to Paul, he's, Paul, I've got you right where I want you. I can, I can use you uh, fully in the shape that you're in. I don't have to make any changes. And Paul didn't have to agree with that. He just submitted to it. He said, okay, I'll rejoice in my weaknesses so the power of Christ can rest in, upon me. We must believe that people are lost and that God has no plan B. He has this plan for us to carry his gospel and for us to work along with him. A fourth thing that we must believe if we're going to reach out effectively, we must believe in the blessings of God. The blessings of God. I like this statement here in Matthew 10 and verse 8 where Jesus says, freely you have received, and so freely give. This would include the gospel news, the gospel salvation. It also included their abilities to do the miracles. But for us, it definitely includes the gospel news and the gospel salvation. Freely you have received, and so freely give. It's an overflow. The key to reaching out is to overflow with gratitude. The key to reaching out is to overflow. You just can't help it. It's just bubbling over in you because you're so grateful. You're so grateful. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10, certainly bring this out. He says, you know, he was the least of the apostles. It wasn't even right to call him an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. But he says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God I am what I am. When he mentions grace, that means his heart is full of gratitude. Now notice what he says, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me 
wasn't bestowed upon me in vain, but I labor more abundantly. That's where Paul got his energy. He got his energy from his gratitude. And that's where energy for the Lord comes from. It's the spirit of a grandmother who overflows with love for her grandchildren to the point that she's going to tell you all about those grandchildren. And she'll be able to tell you frontwards and backwards all that they're doing, all they have accomplished, all that's ahead of them. Because those grandchildren mean so much to her. And shouldn't Jesus mean even more to us? It's the spirit of a grandmother. We sometimes sing that song. He is everything to me, to me, to me. He is my everything. It's the spirit of an old Indian chief. It's an old story, but I love this story about an Indian chief. And he was asked why he talked so much about Jesus. And so characteristic of this chief, he didn't have many words, but he he had um, his... um, person there who's asking questions sit down with him and he built a little fire and he gathered some sticks and some dry grass and made a circle out of it and he built a fire and then he took a caterpillar and he put the caterpillar down into, inside that fire didn't say much but just watched the caterpillar struggle to get out of that ring of fire And finally, as the caterpillar on his last ditch effort was able to raise its little head up above a stick, the Indian chief reached down with his little finger and let the caterpillar get on his finger and he he released the caterpillar from the fire. And then he looked to those around and said, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has snatched us out of the fire. I believe that's... That's exactly what the book of Jude says, Jude verses 22 and 23. In fact, if you look over to Jude 22 and 23, you see three great motivations for reaching other people with the gospel. First, have mercy on them because there are some that doubt. Secondly, some have the stain of sin in their lives and you need to hate that. And thirdly, you can help them be released from the fire. You can snatch them out of the fire. So three motivations vary. The mercy that we should show toward others because God showed us mercy. And then secondly, our hatred of sin ought to help us to reach people. We ought to detest and abhor sin uh, to the point where we don't want to see it living in anybody. And then to help them, rescue them. Do you realize how bad the fire will be eternally? Help rescue them, snatch them out of that fire. And so we need to believe in the blessings of God and overflow with gratitude, and certainly that will help us uh, to reach out. Freely we have received, so let us freely give of our money, time, effort, our gifts, anything else that we have. And finally, we must believe in the individual reception of the Word of God. We must believe in individual reception. Here in Matthew 10, notice in verse 14, you remember Jesus told them, 
Whoever will not receive you and hear your words when you depart out of the house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Jesus is saying you've got to believe the fact that people come with their individual hearts. So just because we teach it doesn't mean people are going to receive. There, is, there are two sides to every communication effort. There's the speaker and the hearer and vice versa. A person's heart has got to be ready. Ideally, Luke 8.15 says that people will have a good and honest heart. But Luke 8 also says, leading up to Luke 8.15, says some people have a heart that is just not interested. Some people have a hardened heart. Some people have a very distracted heart with the cares and pleasures and riches of this world. So don't be surprised that about one out of every four are going to receive the gospel and three out of every four are going to reject it. But nonetheless, Jesus is reminding them that the gospel reception is very individual. We need to remember that as well. Let us first never underestimate the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Let us not be too hasty, too quick to give up on someone because of their lives. Years ago, our, our brother, uh, who's passed on now, Jerry Jenkins, he preached down in Birmingham for so many years. He, he tells the, the true story of one of his gospel meetings. He said, a little small community, and one evening, uh, several responded to the gospel invitation, and one of the men that responded uh, smelled of alcohol. Can you imagine? But he walked down to the front, and he wasn't drunk, but he wasn't necessarily altogether steady either, and you could smell the alcohol. But he requested that he want to be baptized. And after some discussion and talking, and they, they baptized him. But Jerry says that on the way home that night, and he's talking to his wife, he said, that man will never be faithful. Well, guess what? He went back years later to the same place to have a meeting, and that man, who was smelling of that way that night, was very faithful. No more alcohol now. Okay. In fact, he had led his mother, his dad, his wife, and his children to the gospel. And Jerry was stunned as he tells uh, this story. But it relates to the fact that the gospel has a great deal of power. Let us never underestimate uh, that power. But at the same time, Jesus is warning that some people just toy with you. Some people just toy with you with the gospel. For whatever motivation may be in their mind, they're not sincere. And sometimes, if you keep on reading down to Matthew 10, 34, 35, 36, sometimes those foes will be of your own household. Sometimes your family members will be the least uh, to, re- to receive it. But nonetheless, we can't stop uh, trying. Now, what do we do when the gospel is not... <coughs> Received in a readily way. Well, one thing, don't ever take it personally. Luke 10, 15 and 16, Jesus said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Remember that. Don't take it 
personally. You're working for the Lord. And if they're going to reject the gospel, they're rejecting God himself. Also, remember to overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21. If we can't uh, have a Bible study with them, perhaps we can serve them in some fashion, some way or another, uh, so to be able to soften up their heart and, let, and give them a good example of Christianity. And then sometimes you have to move on. Move on. Brother Ken was teaching our youth class this morning, and he emphasized uh, that from Matthew 7, verse 6. You cast not your pearls before swine. Okay. And sometimes you have to uh, spend your time wisely. Ephesians 5, 15, 16 says to redeem the time for the days are evil, and that's exactly right. Time is precious. Days are evil. The devil is at work. And sometimes you just have to move on. But these five things we must believe in, I think you would agree. We must believe in the mission. We must believe that people can change. We must believe that people are lost without Christ and His gospel. We must believe in the blessings of God and be grateful for those. We must believe in the individual reception of the Word of God. And so as we have read from Jesus, may we be encouraged to carry out all the good works that we can. And this evening it may be that you are, you are ready to put on Christ. It may be that you're at a place in your life, perhaps your heart is now ready to receive the gospel message. And you can come forward this very evening, receive Christ, receive His Word, Obey Him, submit to Him, be immersed in water for the remission of sins that pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There may be some other spiritual need. We are the family of God. We strive to walk in His ways and we can pray together and study together. Whatever your need may be, please make that known. Uh, right now, as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Paul.